several years ago when I was working for Knox in downtown Calgary, we received a new telephone system. This was a donation. We didn't ask the staff what we wanted, but we got it, and it was installed, and we were told this will do everything. And it did. It had, it had everything you could possibly imagine. Multiple callers, delayed dialing, switching of the lines. We had record and call waiting and slicing potatoes. I don't know what all it did. It just, there were buttons all over. And we were overwhelmed by it. You see, all we wanted to do was speak to the office and answer the phone. Two buttons. Oh, three. Let's go wild. But we got this, so we were told we needed to be trained, and they brought in a trainer who pushed, uh, pushed all the buttons and explained them, you know, all right, this is your function. So you hold the function, and these are your five functions, and then these are sub-functions. So you push the number of the sub <sighs> All his explanation did was to move the subject that was already <laughs> somewhat confusing right over into the realm of the unfathomably mysterious. We didn't know what we were doing. I was almost afraid to answer my phone when it rang because you might connect directly to the Pope. You didn't know. Like, a whole line of buttons, I never did figure out what they did. That situation reminds me very much of Paul this morning. You see, what Paul is trying to make clear to the church in Corinth are the basics of the faith. And by his language here, because he writes a little bit differently than he normally would write. We realized that what he was doing was quoting the basic precepts which were gradually developing, these thoughts and these themes that would become the early creeds of the church. And so he's presenting these to the people. This is what the faith is about. You want to be a Christian? This is it. And this is why he writes, you know, so we proclaim and so you have come to believe. This is a way of saying this is the official word. You know, I'm not making this up. This is what Christianity is about. The problem is not what Paul wrote. The problem is that although these basic principles remain, our way of thinking, our way of viewing the world, our way of talking, these have all changed. And thus, for many people, passages like this, although they realize there's a grandness here in the sweep, don't really speak about, well, yeah, but what does that mean to me? I mean, this is something, according to Paul, through whom you are being served, through which you are being saved. Uh, you know, how does knowing this in any way really change my life seven days a week or maybe six days and 23 hours because I'm here for one hour and I'll give you that much? So what does it really mean? And this has become a difficulty. And uh, we tend to confuse people, giving them the basics and saying, yeah, this is what we believe and they don't know what to do with that. And if you want to test this, by the way, tomorrow at Tim Hortons, when you go out for your coffee, uh, someone may say, where were you yesterday? And you can say, I went to church. And they might ask you, oh, and what does your church believe? We believe that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, and that he, uh, uh, the third day in accordance with scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. And you know what's going to happen? All your friends are going to just move away. <laughs> And say, oh, thanks, you know, that's really interesting. You know, poor, our poor friend has really got off the deep end, I think. You know, that, that's it. Now, the question then becomes, well, how do we take these things that we do believe and that we do find give us life and put them in terms which the average person today can look at and say, yeah, all right, I see where you're going with this. So let's look at them one by one. Let's start with that first phrase. 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Okay. Now that is big. About, I would say, a good one-half to maybe two-thirds of Christian writings in the past 2,000 years have been struggling with this, trying to unpack it, trying to say this is what it means. And there are many, many different interpretations, many ways of looking at it. And I'm not, you'll be happy to hear, going to try to unpack all of them today. We'll wait till Easter and (laughs) avoid that day. All right. But still, what does that mean for us? And so let's, let's try to rethink it on the next slide. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. Jesus, and I'm going to add something here because I think what I've written is actually too small. Jesus lived and died. And in his life and death showed us the way to move beyond our sense of isolation and failure. That's what it means to to save us from our sins. It moves us beyond a sense that we're failures. Because we live with those memories, don't we? The things we've done wrong, the foolish things we said, uh, the things we've done that we're not proud of anymore, you know, being in blackface 30 years ago or something. You know, all those things that we did willingly, unwillingly, sometimes not even thinking at the time we were doing anything wrong, they stay with us. And we all know that simply saying, well, I'll just, you know, I'll get over them, really isn't enough. Because we say that, and then tomorrow, the thoughts come back. Oh, why did you do that? Why did you make that decision? Why did you say that to that person? Nor does get over it from a friend do much. And we've all been told that. You know, say, I'm really concerned about what I said last week at the meeting. I know I hurt Joyce's feelings. Oh, just get over it. Well, yeah, you think you've gotten over it, but it comes back. And then you think about it again. And then you're, you're equally confused as to, as to what you're doing. What we need is something beyond words and thoughts and even theory to move us on, to to get us beyond our sense of being sinful, beyond our sense of being failures. And Jesus understood this. This is the wonder of the New Testament. He didn't say, by the way, theologize about me or go out and have nice thoughts about me or think something about me. Rather, the basic command of Jesus, and it appears 21 times in the gospel, so it's important, is follow me. See, we're going to join Jesus in his life and in his death. We're going to challenge even death. We're going to join Jesus, walk with Jesus, follow Jesus, and in that, we're going to understand what that freedom of Christ, what that salvation of Christ means. It's through our actions. And so the question was, well, then, you know, how exactly, what are we, where are we walking with Jesus? You know, when we say we're going to walk with Jesus, what does that mean? And we're going to put up a picture of Jack Spong right now. This picture is taken at Harden in Wales in, I think, I was trying to think, I think it was 2011. And what he's doing here is writing his book on the Gospel of John, which is a very important book from Jack, in which he looks at Jesus as a Jewish mystic, and I think it really uncovers a lot of the hidden meanings in John. He hand-wrote the book. I was there with him with a few other people on a retreat, and he sat in his little cubicle and wrote that entire book with his little pen. Not at this particular time, but he was doing it. The book came out in 2012. And one of the points he made, and I think it's extremely important, is following Jesus means we have to walk through the barriers of our lives. And we all have those barriers, those places we don't want to go. 
you know, and we pick our path and, well, we'll go around that and we'll go, I'm not going to go there, we'll go over there. No, Jesus was brave enough and courageous enough and sensed the presence of God strongly enough that he was able to break through those barriers. And that's when we begin to find salvation, new life. I'm no longer held. I can go where I want to go, God with me. And he broke through tribal barriers. Jews didn't speak to Samaritans. Jews didn't speak to women publicly. He did. And he said, yeah, come on, move here, and you'll find that there's a whole new world over here you haven't discovered yet. Prejudices that we all carry with us, some so subtle we don't even know they're there. Last night, as already been mentioned, we had the meeting around homelessness. And I think most of us have a picture of the homeless people as miserable, sad failures who sleep on the streets and don't know how to receive help. or Very distorted picture. And I can say this, especially I worked down in Knox for 37 years and I met the homeless people. They're often very happy. They often can't keep a job because they don't have that sort of mentality, but they work, they collect bottles, they do things, they share. If you want a real experience, go to the Bottle Depot downtown. You're going to meet a whole new community. You know, remember George? He was knifed last week. His girlfriend gave me his bike because he won't be using it. They share. They know exactly where everybody is, where the bottles are kept when you can't get to the depot. And it's a wonderful community. But we have this prejudice. Well, we've got to go help them. We're going to be helping them, by the way, with the little bags. But it's not as a condescending help. It's because we're breaking through a barrier of our own prejudice to meet people. And I'll talk more about that later. The sexual hierarchy. How much has that oppressed our society? Because men behave this way, women behave this way, men do these jobs, women. No, we're people. And Jesus is saying, just be a person and go out there and live my faith. Live that kind of life. Religion. Jesus broke the precepts of his religion all the time. His disciples picked grain. on You can't work on the Sabbath. No, the What's really important about the Sabbath is what Jesus said. You know, what are we really celebrating? What are we really thinking about here? So the great message of Jesus is that we move beyond the life we don't like by acting ourselves into the life in which there is power and possibility and love. Now that perhaps seems a little overwhelming. I'm going to go out there and break all these barriers, and, and I'm pretty small for that. So let's look at the next part, which deals exactly with that. The traditional words, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus was not defeated by the evil of the world, but lives on as God's love alive in that world. We must always remember, and I think it was Irene said something about this last night, that Jesus was a failure. He was a little rabbi preaching to a few people in a very small country at the far end of a very great and powerful empire. He didn't write any books. He wasn't hailed by everybody, even in his own society. And finally, he was overwhelmed and overcome by the Romans and his own Jewish leaders who had him killed for treason. That's how he died as someone who had gone against the laws of Rome. That's not a biography you're going to buy at Costco. You know, oh boy, this sounds like something that's really inspiring. And yet, his followers, those who knew him best, who are pictured by themselves in the works that we have, the Gospels especially, as sort of klutzes. They really didn't get it all the time. So these are not, you know, great scholars who understood everything. No, they were learning. And after his death, they realized, but the world did not destroy him. 
He did not die. He is still with us. We are a part of, in a sense, who we did. He was not defeated by the evil of the world, but lives on as God's love alive in the world. And this is one of the great and magnificent things. Now you say, but, you know, Jesus is so big and we're so small. You know, it seems that what I do, even living in the spirit of the risen Christ, isn't very big. You know, I, sh- I shoveled my neighbor's walk the other day. You know, what does that matter? But the thing is, everything we do, every move we make in that love of Christ that somehow changes people around us, in some way changes the entire world, and that's all we're called upon to do, and we can celebrate it. It's wonderful. Yes, what you do is not huge. You're not going to be on the front pages of the paper. What Jesus did wasn't even mentioned in the papers. Well, because they hadn't been invented yet. But, uh, but yet we remember, and it's so our lives as part, especially of communities like this, become extremely important. And you'll never know the influence you have had. I mean, I think of so many teachers and professors that I would love to go up to now and give them a big hug and say, you know, what you taught me about this has really shaped who I am, even at my age. You know, what you gave me as a gift that you probably don't even remember I was in your class, that has shaped me. I preached sermons that I thought were very mediocre. They all aren't mediocre. I mean, come on. But um, I remember one Easter sermon that I thought was pretty hackneyed. You know, we're all butterflies and we're going to come into new life. And I, It wasn't a bad sermon, but I, you know, I certainly didn't go home and say, wow, I just preached the world's greatest sermon. But I noticed a couple of weeks after it that a couple that were always there at the back of the church, faithful, wonderful people, weren't there. And so I went to someone who lived in their housing complex, and I said, you know, I haven't seen them in the last month. And she looked at me, and I could tell something was not right. She said, they didn't talk to you, did they? And I said, well, no. She said, well, your Easter sermon. They went out and they sold all their long-term savings and they were on a trip around the world because they want to be butterflies. <laughs> I went back and reread the sermon. I didn't say anything about that. You know, I, We don't know how we influence people. Never feel small. Never feel unimportant because what you're doing is simply a part of this life of the risen Christ. God's love alive in the world. We're a part of that. We're a part of this story. That's what Paul was trying to get across to the church in Corinth. Okay, let's go on then to the end of the passage. And that he appeared to Cephas or Cephas. That's, by the way, do you know who that is? Peter. Yeah, it's simply the Greek name for, actually, Latin name for Peter. Or it's an attempt to get to the Hebrew name for Peter. Don't worry about it. Then to the twelve. It's the name that, he was called by the disciples because they spoke Aramaic. So it's been Greekized and then Latinized. Jesus appeared to many people in many ways and continues to appear to all who live seeking to proclaim love and justice in the world. Christ continues to appear to us. Yep, you and me. Maybe not visions like Paul had, but continues to come around us. I've already mentioned those wonderful people who have touched us in our lives and brought us to where we are. We can see Christ there, but Christ is in everyone, sometimes trying to get out because they're not very good at handling the spirit of love and justice. And one of the things that we must do as Christians, one of the disciplines 
that we need to carry out in our lives is the discipline of when we meet people to pause for a moment and let them speak. Because in there is something probably we need to know about them, about where they're coming from, about where they want to go to. And it really changes the world when we begin to try to hear the voice of Christ in those, especially with those with whom we disagree. It's very nice to say, well, I know we have a lot of good friends at church and they're wonderful people and I can see Christ in them. Christ is out there in everyone, trying to get out often. And often people just want to talk about who they are and their needs and their hurts and their pains and what they're dealing with. And one of the things we can do as Christians is to be there and to listen. And you know what's amazing when we do, again, the world opens up. The world is wonderful. The world is great. I have an exercise which I call the open door exercise, which simply means that when I go through a doorway, I stop for a minute, maybe not physically, but mentally, look at the room in front of me and say, okay, who's here? What voices are being heard? What voices are not being heard? This is wonderful, especially at a committee meeting. You know, there are four or five people who do all the talking and all the thinking, and there are others there, though, that also may want to talk. So I want to hear from them even if it's going up and saying, how are you? I want to hear what they're doing. I want to see what their struggles are and then ask, and what can I do? How do I fit into this? Not in a self-important, colonizing, ingratiating sort of way. Well, you know, I'll fix it. Men especially, sorry men, it's true, we tend to be fixers. You know, I'm going to run in, and the first thing I'm going to do is go into this meeting, and I'm going to tell them what we should be doing. You know, what this motion, what we should be doing is this. Solved it. Goodbye. No, just be quiet. Listen what is being said. You know, what points of the debate have you not heard? What hurt have you not recognized? What misunderstanding needs to be repaired? And then if you have something to say, say it. But, but give time to hear the voice of Christ, the voice crying out for that freedom, that salvation, that newness in those around us. Because I think everyone is expressing that in some way, even those with whom we cannot totally connect. There's something there. Where can we hear one another? And when we fail to do that, you know, often we'll hurt people in ways we don't even know. The person who was once hurt was my good friend Jamie Goss. Let's get the Goss. We always call him the Goss. In case you're wondering where he is at this moment, the three of us are on the train, the Via Rail train across Canada, coming out west to this uncivilized part of the country from Ontario, and we're going on our summer charges. And this is Jamie. He's a bit like Danny DeVito. He was a wonderful little troll of a person, uh, died, unfortunately, in his mid-30s at his first charge, which was a great blow to all of us. But Jamie had been asked by one of the big churches in Toronto, I mean a name church, to come and preach. And oh, he was so nervous. I remember I went off to Hamilton every weekend to work in a church there. And I remember on Friday night saying, Jamie, just calm down. You're good at this. Just just go and preach the gospel and just let God take it where it goes. And of course, as I say, just saying get over it doesn't really help. But I think I gave him some comfort. We came back on Monday and he was miserable. He thought... He'd done very well. You know, see some changes, and he'd learn something. But, you know, he thought I did pretty well, except the main elder of the church had come up to him after the service, shaken his hand, and said, thank you for coming. Now, if you ever want to hear a good sermon, come and hear our minister. Ooh, I mean, this man was not trying to be mean. 
He was not trying to be hurtful. In fact, I think in a roundabout way, he was trying to help Jamie. You know, you might get some advice or some hints listening to our minister preach. But he just had worded it so badly that I know Jamie, because he mentioned it often, always remembered that. I think every time he went to preach, he thought, yeah, and maybe I should go hear some other ministers, because I can't do it. But we have those opportunities when we meet with people and shake their hand and say something. That should be a special time. I am connecting with another child of God. What can I say that's helpful? What can I say that's encouraging? What can I say that's kind? What can I say that will help them to feel that they are who God wants them to be or are at least on that process of becoming who God wants them to be? How do we move together beyond our sin, beyond our failure, and live new life? Paul preaches to the early church. And he said to them, look it, my friends. You know, follow Jesus. Follow him through life and through death. Follow him wherever that spirit takes you, because in doing that, in breaking the barriers that hold you, you're going to find what saved life really means. It means life that's whole, life that's complete, life where you can go where you need to go when you want to go because God is with you. Go out there and... See the opportunities that are around you. Go out there and be Christ for the whole world. And when you do that, then you're living up to the basics of faith. Not in some great theological way, but in the way Jesus wanted us to by following him. This is our good news. And the whole people of God say, Amen. Amen.